passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello and welcome everybody to Rewind a Dynamite. My name is Wei Tang. Uh, John Pollock is currently tied up with some uh, family business tonight, but uh, he will be back uh, on Friday with me for Rewind a Smackdown. But in his place, very happy to welcome back to the show, Bruce Lord. What's up, Bruce? I was just saying to Wei before I, I got on that the FOMO was so damn real this past weekend, seeing all of the festivities from the five-year post-anniversary, uh, getting to see everybody's uh, tweets and videos and everything. Uh, like all the other postmarks, I'm eagerly waiting the uh, whatever recordings uh, were, were made that happened to sneak out. I sort of feel like uh, me, you know, kind of showing up here on Dynamite uh, a, a few days later on, it's kind of akin to like one of the guys who came in later on in like the invasion and alliance angle after the, everything was kind of over. It's like, you know, it's four in the morning, the party is dying down and like, Oh great. Brian Clark showed up. Whoopie do. Uh, that's sort of, <laughs> that's the spot I feel like I'm in tonight. I mean, I would, I would look at you as more as the Ric Flair, you know, to step oh. in after the end of the invasion, <laughs> but um, you were missed of course, um, but happy to have you on to get a, a bit of your presence and maybe some of your thoughts about AEW full gear as we talk about dynamite. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you've, if you feel like you've missed out, if anybody feels like they've missed out, um, we're not going to have the full live uh, Q&A up just yet, but we are going to have a bit of a sneak peek in the form of John Pollock's Road Diaries. So what John did was um, throughout the entire trip, he took out his audio recorder and just, you know, recorded and documented in audio form uh, the entire trip. So patrons are going to get that in their feeds sometime tomorrow so look out for that uh, also in the post wrestling cafe as we uh, you know do some uh, house cleaning here uh, our latest edition of rewind away john and i spoke at length about nwa tna's episode 25 all the way from december of 2002 this is a request from our executive producer robbie eleanor and uh as you can see on your screens for people watching a very young faced aj styles as he took on the amazing red a fantastic match also um i would say um similarly faced jeff jarrett uh <laughs> that you see in 2002 it, looking very similar to, to how you see jeff jarrett in 2022 uh, i mean um, if you were to ask me you know which of all of the star you know the people involved in in that pay-per-view or, or or show which of them would be more likely to show up on uh you know on a primetime wrestling show 20 years later if you gave me a choice between jeff jarrett and amazing red 
you know, who are you going with? But maybe that's wishful thinking. I think Jeff Jarrett will be here, uh, you know, forever, seemingly. But um, that was a lot of fun for me to, and John to talk about. So that is up right now for all patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com. Also for video patrons at video.postwrestling.com. So um, before we get into the Dynamite review, let's get into some news here, Bruce, while we have you. Uh, some of our top stories of the day include the latest involving Kane Velasquez. Of course, uh, those of you who uh, listened to Rewind a Raw last week will know that uh, Kane has been asking or did ask for permission to participate in a AAA event. And uh, at this point, that has been officially granted and officially announced. Kane Velasquez has been granted permission to perform for AAA's card in Tempe, Arizona on December the 3rd. Velasquez, who is currently out on $1 million bail while facing an attempted murder charge and several gun charges, was granted permission on Tuesday to take part in the event. AAA has released a poster to advertise Velasquez teaming with Pagano and Blue Demon Jr. against Black Taurus, Sam Adonis, and Gringo Loco. Due to Velasquez not being required to have a GPS monitor, he has to hire a police officer for work details. So, um, so we're gonna get Kane, you know, wrestling on the show. Uh, do you have any thoughts or, or, or feelings about this particular um, story? I mean, uh, it's one of those things where I, I sort of feel like everybody is going to have kind of a variety of feelings that maybe go beyond what we might sort of say on paper we think should happen or, you know, due process of the law and things like that. Um, you know, like if, if you're asking me as a consumer, like, oh, how would I feel about attending a AAA show or, or buying this show or anything like that? I mean, speaking personally, there are plenty of people actively working within wrestling right now, getting booked uh, that I'd be far more disturbed to see on a card than Caden Velasquez, which maybe says something uh, about, you know, certain corners of, of the wrestling world. Um, you know, obvious, obviously I'm not a lawyer, uh, but you have to imagine that this is a case where uh, barring something very, very strange happening, um, you know, the, the case is going to go ahead and, you know, Kane will have his day in court and whatnot. Um, if he's posted bail, obviously I'm not a lawyer. The fact that this uh, is happening across state lines, if I'm remembering correctly, the, uh, the attempted murder and um, charges are filed in California. So the fact that this is happening in Arizona, I, I don't know if that enters into it, if it's a federal crime or not. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what strings would have had to have been pulled. It seems like a pretty extraordinary thing. I mean, yeah, the fact that, as you're saying, there's going to be a legitimate police officer there supervising him. Think about how many pro wrestlers have come down to the ring with extra security or handlers to keep them from going crazy or whatever it might be. This man literally is going to go back to you know face charges of attempted murder after finishing this pro wrestling match. Whether you think that is something that is going to just add to a real sense of kind of ghoulish um, sideshow spectacle to the card or whether it adds some extra juice to it. I don't know. Your mileage is going to vary on it. Like I said, I can, I'm not really going to fault anybody for feeling how they feel about this situation. It's a pretty, you know, uh, unbelievable story and circumstance to, you know, have a professional wrestling match take place in. And maybe that's as, as much as, you know, we can actually say about it. Um, I, I, interested in seeing the crowd response you know to kane of course um i'm anticipating it to be pretty positive just kind of given maybe how um beloved he he might have been prior to um the um the of course um you know charges even but um i i think just kind of given the circumstance it seems like he might have a lot of um crowd support um already and i'm 
I, you know, I'm, I'm at least curious to see if, if the crowd response is, 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 is what I think it will be. Let's move on to some ratings news here from Monday, WWE raw, WWE Raw's go-home edition before the Survivor Series resulted in a seventh-place finish among its cables, its cable competitors. The show averaged 1,646,000 viewers and a .41 in the 18 to 49 demo as it trailed Monday's NFL programming and coverage of the World Cup soccer tournament. Uh, this comes to us, of course, courtesy from Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics and Showbuzz Daily. Raw's audience was nearly identical to last week, while the 18 to 49 audience fell by seven percent, its lowest mark since halloween over on nxt's uh results from tuesday nxt averaged six hundred twenty-four thousand viewers and a 0.12 in the 18 to 49 demo also per brandon thurston and show show buzz daily the show felt a number 50 among cable originals due to a 30 percent drop in its key demo audience which which was its lowest in the 18 to 49 category since june the 28th um it, yeah, have you been keeping up with either either brand, Bruce? Oh, no. I, I, not in terms of watching them. Oh goodness, no! But in terms of listening to Brandon speak about these things, and of course your guys' reviews. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me, you know, and again, you know, Brandon's the one crunching the numbers on these things. That whatever sort of bump there might have been uh, coming out of the whole change in power and you know i imagine a lot of curiosity due to the palace intrigue uh of of the whole vince and hunter uh situation i kind of feel like that's died down uh and if we're looking at talk or discussion about either main roster wwe um or or nxt for that matter the only thing that people actively at least in my circles seem to be remotely interested in is just anything and everything related to the bloodline um you know and if that's happening on fridays uh, mondays are going to be kind of left out to dry a, a little bit there so yeah um you know it's it's understandable why i mean this could just be sort of confirmation bias right people kind of wanting to look at these shows and sort of see oh these these extra little differences and whatnot that that are there but after a while those just sort of you know begin to be taken for granted. Oh, I've got fine. They're saying wrestler in hospital. What else have you got for me? Uh, you know, and if you have some of the, the extended Baron Corbin match and things like that uh, happening, you know, it, it kind of, kind of turns into a bit of a meet the new boss, same as the old boss situation, I think. Next week's, you know, uh, show after the Survivor Series will, uh, you would expect to have, you know, a, a pretty solid bump coming off of it, especially if there's any sort of surprise on the show. But um, this week seemed to be a bit, bit more of the same uh, from what we're used to. Our last story here is about Carl Anderson and the never ending saga of the never open weight championship seemingly uh, getting some re- resolution here as WWE wrestler Carl Anderson's return to new Japan pro wrestling has been officially announced. He will finally defend his never open weight championship against Hikuleo on December the 14th at the super junior and world tag league finals. Luke Gallows is also set to appear on the show. Um, First of all, thoughts uh, thoughts on this entire saga, uh, Bruce? Do you expect it to come to an end here? Uh, what do you think? I, I mean, I have to imagine that we will finally just just get an end to this. This has been going on for for far far too long. I mean, on the one hand, you can sort of look at this and say, "Hey, this was just a you know probably a shoot scheduling error that then got turned into an angle and has now been built up." And look, we're still talking about it months after the fact, right? There's probably more attention being paid uh, to a Hikuleo match than the guy has ever had in his life or in his career, rather. The problem being, the rubber is still going to hit the road here. And look, as somebody who watches a lot of New Japan Strong, um, 
I'm not really sure uh, what expectations people are going to have going into this match. Um, but, you know, in it's one man's opinion, but, you know, Hikuleo is not really at the level of a lot of the other, um, you know, LA Dojo and Nogue Dojo uh, graduates and, and, and young lines uh, of his class, obviously. The look, the pedigree, the you know, the size. You, you at some point, you know, you have to sort of let him out there and sink or swim. Um, but you know, this match becoming a lot more high profile than it might have otherwise been kind of puts him under the spotlight. And you know, if we're going on recent history, the last match that Anderson had with Tanahashi of all people, he didn't really seem to want to you know turn the heat up for that. So I can't really see him being able to carry Hikaleo to an especially great or notable match here. So I imagine you know uh, relatively short, maybe a little bit of gimmickry, maybe a little bit of uh, uh, you know of, of Gallo's involvement that 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 smooths things over a little bit. But um, like I said, I'm just glad this is going to be over. I, I'm not so sure that's a sure thing, Bruce, because uh, Fightful has released a report um, stating that they've spoken to people who believe that Carl Anderson is penciled in for the Tokyo Dome. So there's All a very right. good chance this continues. And, you know, maybe part of the reason, at least, is perhaps the fact that Hikuleo might not be at the level that they want to, uh, you know, take the belt off of this prestigious uh, mm. uh, champion in Carl Anderson. So uh, there, there could be a chance that, you know, uh, Anderson retains. And if so, the the chance that we may get a WWE, uh, you know, AEW uh, stardom involvement in, in the latest uh, in the next Wrestle Kingdom here, which would be interesting. Um, have you been keeping up at all with the uh, Super Junior uh, Tag Tournament? Yeah, yeah, I I got I had a bit of a day to myself today. Not a lot in the way of uh, of day job work or, or whatever it is. So I got all caught up uh, on Super Junior Tag League and World Tag League today. Um, it's not lighting my world on fire, you know, it's, you know, the World Tag League has not really been the most high profile tournament for the last little while. And I'm not really sure that I can necessarily recommend any of the individual World Tag League matches. Um, a few of the the Super Junior um, Tag League matches have been pretty good. I think the... Um, the, the, the last two matches on the first night uh, and then the uh, last three matches on the third night are all probably worth checking out. Really, it's just what I've been getting out of this is just uh, the enjoyment of having a little bit of extra f- kind of fresh flavor and new faces kind of back in the New Japan mix. Um, you know, you've got uh, some some returning people like uh, Alex Zane, Ace Austin, Lindemann, who I think uh, contri- are contributing a lot. It's really cool to see Chris Bay in the mix. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very much getting behind the LA Dojo guys. They're being presented as, you know, young lions no more and graduates and everything. Um, so there's a little bit of, of something happening there. Um, it's also always nice to check in with the young lions. Fujita's looking good. And if nothing else, the first two nights, it was really nice to hear cheering in a Korakuen uh, show. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think DDT maybe had cheering happening in one Korakuen show, but uh, but it was just nice to kind of have that back, that really old New Japan feel in that building again. So that is the latest uh, news here. You can find all of it, of course, uh, at postwrestling.com. And with that, let's move on to tonight's edition of AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite coming to us from Chicago here. Uh, Bruce, first of all, your thoughts on Full Gear this week? I really ended up enjoying it. Um, you know, the friends that I had over to my place uh, to, uh, to all watch it together, we were all a little bit maybe more Luke on it going in uh, than we generally are for AEW pay-per-views. But it was always just, okay, well, you know, we'll get out and hang out together. Uh, but between the um, the 
Eddie and Junakiyama match, and then a really good cage match, which was a lot better than I think any of us were expecting it to be. We all really kind of got sucked in and ended up very much enjoying, uh, you know, pretty much almost all of the matches to to a good degree um i thought that the uh the hater um storm match was was really really good uh obviously you know bucks and death triangle was great and they're obviously going to keep spitting that out for a while um yeah on the whole a, a show that i thought really eclipsed uh expectations you know some somewhat muted expectations going in um i don't know that we've gotten a confirmed number uh, as far as the buy rate i know Khan was intimating that it was kind of hovering around the 140-ish um, terrain in the post in the post match or uh, post show presser, which you know is a little fair bit higher than I was ballparking at around 129, 130 or something. So uh, you know whether that's just brand loyalty or whatever, but I think everybody who did show up for it or pay up for it uh, ended up getting a pretty damn good show. Yeah, um, certainly. I think going into it, my expectations were a bit lower too. Just you know, just given all the all the news. But for me, it was a show that I, it, it absolutely kind of like changed my um, perception and, and excitement for AEW. Really, like reignited it in many ways. So heading into tonight, um, I was excited to see a lot of the fresh direction and a lot of the fresh. Um, you know, like I was just excited to see the company move past. Honestly, the entire CM Punk Elite thing. Well, we'll get to that later on. But <laughs> yes, I don't know will. if you noticed, but I don't know if you noticed the opening montage for this dynamite was completely redone all sorts of new faces all sorts of footage from new champions crowned at full gear and whatnot i missed it because i i tuned in a little bit late on my feed and unfortunately you can't rewind so please yeah. fill me in on uh, any other things i may have missed but i did catch william regal in the ring here he has uh come out now as a full-on heel he says mjf won't be here tonight uh mjf does not have the time to be in what is this place chicago Fuck you, Regal. Chance are heard. Uh, as much, Regal basically only says that weeks ago he sent an email to MJF, but he will not reveal the contents of this email, and he'll let MJF do it next week. Regal keeps promoting that MJF will be here next week, and the more he, he says next week, the more this crowd starts to boo him. At this point, Mox comes out. And Regal is caught in ring um, with, with the close-up of his classic Regal snarl. So good to see it return. Mox is about to make a beeline for Regal in the ring, but out comes Brian Danielson to step in to hold Mox back. Danielson says, Regal did a bad thing, but so have you. And so have I. He's got a bad neck and two bleeds on his brain. Don't hurt him. Mox is pacing around the ring. He's struggling to keep himself together. And Brian just slaps him in the face. Brian says, sorry. He's kneeling at one point before he gets up and says, I'm sorry. My dad struggled with the same struggles you did. And the person who helped me understand them was Regal. I was able to love my dad for the last years of his life because of Regal. Imagine someone teaching your daughter to understand your struggles. Save him for me because I love this man. At this point, Chicago is chanting bullshit. But before we get to the rest of the pro, um, uh, segment, your thoughts on uh, Daniel Bryan's or Brian Danielson's uh, portion here. I, w- I mean, I was expecting Brian to sort of be running in and playing interference. You know, it was the fact that um, Mox, somebody, I can't remember who it was, if it was Bix or somebody pointed out on Twitter that immediately when he came to, um, Mox turned and looked at Danielson to sort of be like, what the hell just happened there? This is somewhat on you or you're you're going to have to be the go-between here. Um, so I was expecting Danielson to get involved. I was not necessarily expecting this whole sort of um, uh, scene of fathers, both surrogate and 
deceased and present and absent uh, being introduced right out of the gate. A whole lot of, of psychodrama being brought up here. You know, I think um, uh, a lot of people maybe have memories of the um, the very emotional press conference that um, Danielson gave after his father passed away. Um, we know that, you know, I mean, it came up, it was very much the kind of the sticky wicket in the Austin podcast, right? Uh, the issue of, you know, Mox's relationship or lack thereof with his father being something that he doesn't want to talk about. So the fact that that was sort of the um, the angle that was being worked here uh, very much sort of kind of heightened, <laughs> uh, heightened things beyond just, okay, why is he working with MJF or what is the nature of his, his betrayal of us? Uh, and really brought up the history of both guys in an interesting way, if they are possibly transitioning away from having Regal involved in this storyline or even involved in the company, which there's obviously a lot of speculation about right now. Mox is then gripping the ropes. He's shaking them and he tells Brian to get out of the way as he stands face to face with Regal. He says, your Lordship, I only want one thing from you. I want you to run, run as far as away, uh, away as you can. And you never come back, walk and keep on walking. And so Regal walks up the ramp. And at this point, it almost looks like Mox is kind of, you know, struggling to like hold back tears from his eyes. Um, I thought this was a tremendous segment. I thought Brian possibly mm, had the most substance in any dialogue we've heard from him throughout this entire AEW run. Mm. I think, you know, one of my biggest complaints, I mean, he's been very good in ring, but like, I think part of the reason why people are complaining that he doesn't feel like he has as big of a presence as people like a, like punk did or, or, you know, people in the upper mix is because I don't know if he's, he's had had that much character sort of a development at all, you know, throughout this entire year plus in AEW. Um, I think he's he's the sort of guy who, you know, if we're kind of taking his his interviews kind of at his word recently about, you know, being fine with not being in the main event mix or wanting to, you know, sort of do ROH stuff or whatever it might be. I kind of get the sense that if he doesn't feel as though there is kind of a character angle to work, then he's fine to just sort of like, well, I'll just stand back and be the, the grizzled professional wrestler with an incredible, you know, ROH pedigree and whatnot. And I don't need to get, uh, you know, sp- specific storylines about, I don't know, factions, my family or uh, recycling or whatever else uh, it happens to be. Uh, so yeah, he's very much been kind of kept, I wouldn't say on the sidelines, but in a, certainly in a, in a less pro a less high profile role that, than Moxley has. Um, if this indicates that he's going to be stepping out of that, cool, great. It seems like a natural time to do so. Yeah, I, and I think it's it's a it's a necessary ingredient in uh, professional wrestling in getting somebody to care about your match. I mean, we care about his match anyway because he's Brian Danielson. But to get somebody really invested in why you want to win or why you want to save somebody from from um, I don't know attacking your father figure, um, it just makes you that much more invested in the actual outcome of, of the professional wrestling itself. So I thought he did absolutely great here. It was great to see Regal back as a heel, even briefly here. You know, he's been such a great and effective babyface throughout this entire Blackpool Combat Club run and even like dating back to his role in you know in NXT it's been so long since he's actually been a heel that I you almost kind of forget you know that the guy made his career at, in this role um but Mox to me was just another sort of like MVP of this entire segment like in his nonverbal acting I thought was so good. You know, the internal struggle that he showed as he was holding back uh, from wanting to beat the shit out of this guy. And at the, and at the same time, like feeling this intense betrayal from somebody he probably looked at as a father figure as well. 
you know, well, he, I mean, he, without saying a, the too many words, he he, I thought displayed it beautifully. I mean, you know, what do we remember about you know the, the, about uh, the, the 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 Rollins Shield breakup? Right, it's the reaction that Mox has turning to look at mm-hmm. Seth, and then in the match that they had thereafter, just him basically weeping while beating Seth up and just yelling, "I loved you!" Right, that mm-hmm. man can sell betrayal and disappointment in his brothers or in you know people that he cares about uh, in, incredibly well. So obviously, there isn't a match with Regal to go to uh, in this case fingers crossed um but in terms of it giving something for mox without the belt to have to deal with or process uh mm-hmm. even if we I, I have to imagine the poor guy's getting his vacation at some point soon uh so even if we don't necessarily go to an mjf rematch right off the bat there's a lot for him to sort of play with here in the, in the short to medium term he's got that fishing rod packed i i think you know for like months now and yeah. maybe maybe this means some sort of exit but it didn't d- didn't necessarily indicate it you know it's not like he's like you know reeling from any sort of significant injury maybe he's heartbroken but like you know doesn't necessarily indicate that he'll be leaving at all but uh, to me the brian danielson sort of uh, element of this is is, is the most interesting coming off of tonight. I think it was not a mistake having him sort of be positioned, you know, in frame behind Mox so that you visually are, are, are going to start to wonder where his allegiances lie. Mm-hmm. Is it to his teammate or the person who he, see, he sees as a father figure in all of this? And if he's, I'm, if he's turning heel, like how is he going to work with MJF? Yeah. And is Regal going to be there for it? I'm not sure how much stock you're placing in some of the kind of the scuttlebutt going around right now, you know, or whether or not the fact that, you know, Charlie. What Dempsey is the scuttlebutt in, in form? Oh, well, oh, just that, you know, we've got Charlie Dempsey debuting on NXT. Uh, it's we're going to be hitting a year of Re- since Regal's debut, I believe, in March uh, with AEW. So contract status, who knows there? Um, you know, if if you have. I mean, clearly, like, you know, as everybody's been pointing out, right, like Hunter's just going through everyone that he might have had a conversation with in catering at some point in NXT. You have to imagine that that call has been made. Um, And obviously, this is something that MJF has been playing with in terms of the bidding war of 2024 and whatnot. Uh, The fact that you have that alignment between MJF and Regal now that is possibly something that either for real or in storyline we could be seeing played with uh, for the next little while. Very interesting. Up next, we've got Lee and Sora backstage. They decide to talk about Lee's walkout at AEW Full Gear. And uh, no more updates uh, from there, but maybe something next week, it seems like. And then we've got, for the All-Atlantic Championship, Orange Cassidy versus Jake Hager and his purple hat. Um, <laughs> this hat gimmick, Bruce, it is over, Okay. <laughs> This the crowd loved it um, when we we were there live in in uh, um, uh, Newark, and they certainly loved it tonight. Uh, Jake Hager and his purple hat, and they essentially worked this entire match around the hat, Bruce. Uh, the best friends and the JS members are ringside. Hager is starting to wrestle with the hat on. At some point, the hat falls off, and it, it gets this. It, they they milk the reaction just just from this crowd with the both of them looking at the hat. On the mat, Cassidy at this point grabs the hat and threatens to put it on, but Daniel Garcia from the apron grabs it and takes it away. Hager then catches a Cassidy Tope Suicida and rams him, rams him against the post and regains the hat, dominating through the commercial. Cassidy comes back with a stun dog millionaire and a tornado DDT. At this point, Hager locks in the ankle lock. As Cassidy upkicks to defend, he knocks Hager's hat off 
which prompts Jake Hager to let go of the hold so that he can retrieve his hat. Cassidy then catches him with the case of the door into a pitting combination for the victory. Um, your thoughts, Bruce? Is this hat? Are you are you down with this? After going from a story about like fathers and surrogate fathers, which has echoes of like Eugene O'Neill and Dostoevsky, we go to something that seems to be clearly inspired by that classic of modern children's literature. I want my hat back. I don't know if Oscar's probably a bit young for that right now, but in a couple of years, uh, I'm sure it'll it'll get over with him. Great. Um, I, 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 look, on paper, I was going to really dislike this. I'm one of those people who's feeling pretty burnt out on Cassidy right now. Um, I just don't, I, I, whatever. He's, he's kind of run out of good grace with me, uh, but that's an issue for another day. And I kind of feel like I even, I dislike Hager's in-ring work even more than the average person does. So on paper, I was like, oh God. But when it was revealed that this is what it is, okay, fine. Like, I'm glad it's at least being played for straight comedy. Hager's basically like King Hippo from Punch-Out. Now you just wait for his clothes to fall off and then he's vulnerable and you just lean into him and, and, and take him down. Um, you know, nothing to be really said in ring. You know, we've just got constant JAS and uh, and best friends shenanigans going on. So whatever. I mean, if the hat is over, ride it for a couple of months, I guess. Sure. Fine. <laughs> I since I like this a lot more than you did, Bruce, and, and that's perfectly fine. But, you know, for me, like I, I've been enjoying this Orange Cassidy run a whole lot. Um, I think the struggle has always been, you know, this is an over gimmick. It's it, 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 And gimmick is, is sort of like the, the main word here. You know, can you really flesh it out into a full on story and, and a title run and a substantial role for him? And I would say they've done a decent job by you know, strictly focusing on his in-ring challenges. Um, and ultimately what you're getting is a great wrestler, you know, sort of like enveloped with this uh, silly gimmick in Orange Cassidy. But I thought Jake Hager was almost like the perfect type of opponent with this new gimmick because it's just as cartoonish and, and it's just as silly, but it's on the other side. He plays this sort of like big goofy idiot with mm-hmm. this like one Achilles heel in his hat that makes like, you know, Orange Cassidy, like the perfect cartoonish type of hero to try to vanquish him. Um, it's made Hager certainly a lot more interesting. And as a mid-card gimmick, I actually like it a lot. It's 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 maybe a better fit for fit for Cassidy than the Shibata business, in my opinion. So it's you're you're right. It's it's making the best out of two characters that I don't normally have a lot of interest in, and it wasn't pretending to be anything other than it wasn't. So yeah, no harm, no foul. Up next in our World Title Eliminator Tournament Tournament fi- Final. Wow, what a mouthful! World Title Eliminator Tournament Final here. We've oh, do you eight- want to talk about the return before then? Uh the return. Yes, did I miss something here? Yeah. Oh, um, of course. The factory. The factory runs out, but that's a swerve. <laughs> the return of the factory. We've all been waiting for it. Weeks <laughs> no, uh, QT Marshall and the factory come out to confront the best friends, but his mic gets cut off and the lights go out and out comes Julia Hart on the ramp. The lights come back on and it is the house of black. They lay out the best friends as the factory applauds them from the apron, thinking that, oh, the house of black are here to help. They, they've joined the factory. <laughs> Uh, the House of Black then attack the factory. A bunch of random wrestlers and security guards also come out. The House of Black, Black just picks off everybody. Buddy Matthews and Brody King end it with a Dante's Inferno to a poor security guard right on the ramp. As Malachi says, members of the House of Black, please rise. Your thoughts on the return, Bruce? Like you guys, um, I am often intrigued by the uh, kind of tone and aesthetic of the House of Black and Malachi Black promos, uh, but often, you know, I'm not going to try to do John's impression of, of Malachi or anything like that, but when it gets a little too turned in on itself, 
things kind of begin to fall apart. But that being said, I've really liked the vignettes. Uh, you know, the fact that they are re- clearly repositioning uh, Julia in this, you know, kind of pastel summer goth outfit, uh, kind of as like the, the spiritual center uh, of the group, I think is a really cool look. Um, uh, like I said, the vignettes were good. It was time to get some physical presence here. And the fact that it interrupted uh, a factory versus best friends, you know, set, set up there. I'm like, oh god, I don't need any more of that uh, on my on my primetime television. No, we're not getting any of that. We're getting uh, a much more menacing uh, stable returning. Um, yeah, no. On the whole, I, I thought this was pulled off pretty well. I, I don't know that you know feuding they'll spend much time feuding with, with the best friends or what sort of uh, matches in the short to medium we might be going towards. Uh, but, you know, some time off, uh, I think, has kind of re- refreshed and reinvigorated uh, this whole group. Uh, and again, I think Julia, they've done a really good job uh, with positioning Julia in the role that she's in now. Totally agreed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if sort of like the all, all these, you know, reports of, of whether whether or not um, Buddy or, or Malachi would, would be returning to AEW might have contributed to it. But it, it almost got like I, I it almost kind of turned them babyface already that way because um we were kind of teased with the idea of not having these guys around. So when it was, you know, revealed that 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 wasn't happening and that these guys were returning um immediately i think they they were shooting up to become crowd favorites and those videos i thought looked so cool and julia hart's new look looks so absolutely cool that it's just like you can't help but just absolutely love it the moment you 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 see her on 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 the ramp i thought they they've done such a great job with her um really making her presence sort of integral to the whole presentation of it all so you know i thought they might have might have uh, reintroduced these guys at the end of the um trios match at uh full gear but it's clear that you know of course um death triangle and and uh the bucks are going to be feuding for quite a long time um so that's probably the match maybe you get to um for the trios championship maybe for the next pay-per-view mm-hmm. but until then um maybe a, a best friends feud um will, will be their their surrogate for now uh all right so that is that and then up next we've got for the world title eliminator tournament final it is ethan page taking on ricky starks the match that was supposed to take take place on saturday but instead we had uh, starks beating lance archer uh in the uh semifinal, i believe yes the winner of this match will face the champion at winter Co- is coming in three weeks ricky starks comes out and his shoulder and his ribs are just taped up completely he, he works the entire match with a big handicap here as Ethan Page works over the midsection through a commercial break. Starks is about to hit Page with the tope suicida, but Stokely pulls Page out of the way as Starks just goes flat on the mat. Starks then fights back with a superplex. He's doing the entire match essentially with his arm clutched to his chest here. Uh, the referee does a good job here. Or sorry, the announcers, I should say, do do a good job, I thought, of like verbalizing the pain of, of a rib injury, talking about how every kick out it hurts a lot for Starks. We get another desperation spear from Starks, and then he sets up another spear, hits it. Ricky Starks gets the baby face victory. Your thoughts on the match, Bruce? I really, really like this. Um, I thought this was really a case of putting both guys in exactly the sort of role or position where they can excel. Starks has just such natural charisma. Uh, So even from the beginning, right, you know, him striking his silhouette, but wincing a little bit, you know, because his ribs are hurting when he's twisting his his midsection or whatever. That the whole way through the match, uh, you know, there was one, there was a superplex spot where somehow, even from behind, he managed to sell a rib injury while doing a superplex with his back to the hard camera. I don't know how he did it, 
but he did that. Uh, so a really cool, like, kind of personality and perseverance uh, based win for him. I like the fact booking wise that, you know, coming out of the matches with Archer and Cage, he's clearly beat up and beat down. So there's obviously, if you, uh, if you are keeping the main, the belt on Moxley, there's a very easy story to tell in terms of Paige taking advantage of a weakened opponent and still sort of preserving, uh, you know, Starks's build over the last little while. But obviously if we're going to Texas and, you know, MJF has the belt, Starks is the way to go here. Uh, I should also say that I think that this is really the sort of match that Ethan Page is really good at. I can take or leave uh, Ethan Page a lot of the time, but when he's in this kind of slow, methodical, shit-talking heel role, like this is very similar to the role he played in his long, 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 long-standing feud with Darby Allen, right? Just, you know, punishing and trash talking a smaller weakened opponent who is often clutching his midsection as he wings him around here and there uh, i don't always like page when he's fighting kind of from beneath you know stronger uh, or upper card faces but as just a bully picking on someone uh smaller or more beat down uh than he is he's great in this so uh, i want to give him his credit as well Agreed, agreed. I thought it really showcased a, a very good gutsy classic babyface perf- performance from from Starks, and and it takes somebody who can be as vicious as Ethan Page to kind of take it there. Um, what do you see for Ethan Page coming off of this? Because of course he and Stokely and the firm were involved in the entire NJF. Is he a heel? Is he a babyface sort of drama? And coming off of Full Gear, it it just kind of feels like they were just a complete non-factor in everything. I, I don't know if we just completely scratch the firm, if we kind of rejigger the actual makeup of it. Obviously, you know, uh, Paige has been given a lot uh, of, of mic time and ring time, and they seem interested in warming him up. Um, whether, I don't know, if you want to spin him off into a, a feud with Cassidy or something like that over the Atlantic belt, that's a possibility there. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I I mean, just to underline what, you know, you and John and so many other people have said, I think it would be a tremendous mistake to kind of regroup uh, MJF with the firm, even after tripling down on the MJF heel turn, the whole, the optics of that beatdown that they delivered to him. And then, you know, that, that being pulled out from under you is just not really the sort of storytelling I don't think that people uh, are, are expect at this point, or at least expect from AEW. Um, so yeah, it, it's an outfit that's kind of at a crossroads. Individually, the individual pieces have found their own little moments to shine here and there. Obviously, the guns uh, with the acclaimed business. Moriarty's had a couple of nice matches. Uh, you know, I think even Morrissey has done okay as kind of just, you know, the big heater coming in uh, here and there. Uh, but where that actually goes as a faction, uh, I'm not really sure right now. I think there's benefit to keeping them as a unit, you know, just to be able to, I don't know, do, do occasional trios matches, have like, you know, Morrissey play muscle to Ethan Page or something like that. Um but they certainly need something because as a threat, they, they they need some sort of follow up to address the MJF thing or MJF mm-hmm. needs to address them. And, and it's going to have to happen in a way that retains the both of them as heels can also explain why MJF um, was attacked by them um, without, you know, simply saying, oh, I let them beat me up uh, just to trick box. Um, it's going to have to fulfill a lot of those things because um if they don't address it, I just worry that they'll just kind of like, you know, linger in sort of like mid-card irrelevancy. So 
I'm wondering if the Regal story might be the key to that. If if we kind of if it comes out sort of that maybe MJF was sincere in his attempt to go straight, didn't want the firm to run in on Mox, did want to beat Mox on his own. Uh, but you know, if Regal has been the the devil on his shoulder, you know, whispering in his ear and whatnot, then the fact that you know MJF was initially uh, feuding with with the firm uh, before doubling down on the heel turn later on might make sense. Uh, we get a video from Warlow here, and he sends a message to Samoa Joe. So that feud is going to continue, presumably, until final battle here. And then up next, we've got Jig Cargill, and uh, they re-aired the confrontation that she had with Bow Wow at some sort of a con- at the concert from Miami. <laughs> um, and when asked to follow up on it, uh, Jig Cargill simply has no comment. So. I I guess they're building up to to uh, an appearance from Bow Wow here uh, in the future, but <laughs> look, look, we've we've already had you know um, uh, Bow Wow's you know two kind of again if we're talking about surrogate father figures, we've had Bow Wow's two surrogate father Jeez. figures Jeez. in Jermaine Dupree and Snoop on AEW television. Whoa. This has to lead to a Snoop <laughs> versus Jermaine Dupree fight for custody over the remainder of Bow Wow's career. Wait, that has wow. to be where we're going here. I- did not consider that. Okay. Um, this could be way bigger than we thought. Well, how does Jade Cargill get involved? I don't know. I mean, I, I do also want to say that those sunglasses that she was wearing backstage were phenomenal. I mean, mm. not enough can be said about, about Jade as kind of that exactly the sort of star that you would want showing up at a non-wrestling media-related scrum or whatever to stir the pot and, and make some noise. Um yeah, I mean, I have no idea what sort of a match we could be going to here unless we have, you know, I don't know, Bow Wow enlisting Mark the Sterling. services or teaming up with, with, with somebody else or, or whatever it might be. Oh, Bow Wow versus Mark Sterling. Okay, okay, know. yeah. Uh, so so the, something is brewing there, and uh, we, we get to uh, Jade Cargill with the baddies. Uh, they're talking to Renee. Red Velvet is returned, uh, has returned, and the the baddies are going to have a celebration next week in Indianapolis. Mark Sterling also shows up here, and she is uh, he is here to give Kiara Hogan a contract or at least some sort of a document to indicate that she has been fired from the baddies. So we're keeping Layla Gray, um, getting rid of Red Red Velvet, um, getting rid of Kiara Hogan, Red Velvet. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's right, yeah, Kiara Hogan. So, so that's that. Up next, we've got the Elite versus the Death Triangle in match number two of our best of seven. The Kansas entrance is back and looks to be at least here to stay for, for the time being. Don Callis is on commentary. They also replay Penta and George Kittle's react uh, interaction from Monday, showing off some of that mainstream press for the uh, Lucha Brothers here. Pack comes out wearing a face mask and the announcers inform us that he suffered a broken nose on Wednesday. So um, I don't know if this, uh, you know, was, was an angle or if it was legitimate, but um, it at least played in, into the match. Um, any, any thoughts, Bruce? Yeah, I was having that exact same question, whether it was, whether it was legit or not, but one way or the other, you know, the elite had to know that they were going to be at least <laughs> somewhat booed or at least having to play somewhat heel in this. So having that as a target for Pac, uh, I, I thought was really, really good. Uh, so it so, was a bit of luck there. So we should talk about this now. Okay. Cause the elite came out here working full heel. And of course this is Chicago. Um, what, what was the rea- reaction you were expecting them to receive? And do you think they were met with that reaction? I was not expecting quite as vociferous 
a F the elite uh, chant uh, as as happened when they, when they first came out. But neither was I expecting to actually hear FCM Punk chants in Chicago later on uh, into this match as well. So this really seemed like just a classic, you know, kind of getting back to the, oh, Shades of Grey, Attitude Era type you know, kind of pick your poison uh, type sort of mixed crowd reaction. Obviously, the you know, the elite are, are, are working heel, and I think it was smart uh, to do that. You know, the, the Dan Flash's outfits, all of the, the shimmying coming down, you know, down the ramp uh, and everything like that. Uh, but the other thing is that all of the guys involved in this match are canny enough and savvy enough to adjust on the fly based on the crowd's temperature and, you know, do spots or sequences that will play to whichever way the wind happens to be blowing uh, in the stadium at that one time. So, I mean, it was it was a hot crowd, right? In, in terms of both negative and positive reactions all over the place throughout. So before we even, or even if we want to touch the third rail question of the possibility of a return being teased here, um, you know, I think even for right now, for the remainder of these next few matches, They've got a pretty hot hand, and I think they're going to try to squeeze as much as they can out of it, whether that's leaning into, you know, very extreme heel reactions in some towns, whether that is prompting all manner of online speculation on the basis of individual spots and and gestures that we saw uh, in this match. I think... You know, I'm. I, who knows exactly when this whole seven match uh, c- series was decided upon, uh, but knowing that there might be a mixed reaction to the elite in in certain areas, I think they're gonna they're gonna milk it for all it's worth. I did not hear the F the elite chant maybe as as loudly as um, mm. maybe you, you. It sounds like sounds like you did, but but to me, like it it. I don't know if the elite reaction was as anti, uh, you know, uh, elite as as much as I think was warranted in a ma- in a match like this. And, and my biggest criticism of them deciding to go full heel for this match was that it took so much away from the match on Saturday and the internal struggle that Phoenix had mm. in deciding to finally turn heel. You know, Phoenix had to really kind of you know struggle for weeks to decide to finally use that bell hammer. And I think that needed to be followed up here, you know, with mm. the death triangle being full on heels and the elite being the baby faces. Instead, it was the death triangle as baby faces, you know, and and, and we'll get to maybe the match itself. But um, by the end of the match, I kind of felt like what happened on Saturday's narrative was was kind of rendered useless. But mm. we will talk about it uh, as we go through the match here, because a lot happened in this match that was very interesting that we will spend a lot of time talking about. <laughs> Kenny and Phoenix start things off. Um, a Terminator dive is interrupted by a Phoenix Cutter. Phoenix then delivers this crazy torneo to to the pile below. Uh, there was one moment where there were some very audible CM Punk chants heard, and you can see Matt crotch chopping the audience in the area where they're being directed. And this is where I started to hear the fuck CM Punk chant. And the cameras actually decide to close up on fans chanting it. So this followed up from, um, of course, uh, BTE, where you, you had some of that emphasis as well. Um, at least the direction here on this show seemingly making making a, a point to, to show that the, this audience was chanting fuck CM Punk. Certainly interesting there. Um, Nick holds pack up for Matt to seemingly hit a buckshot lariat. Matt Jackson does the flip and then intentionally lands on his ass. Uh, a clear sort of mocking of CM Punk for his failed buckshot lariats in his matches against Hangman Page. Omega then bites Pac. Um, 
by Tim, of course, uh, directly playing into, of course, the Ace Steel uh, uh, biting. Phoenix then takes the hot tags with uh, Phoenix doing this sort of crazy multi-jump springboard Rana. Matt distracts Pac to allow Kenny to hit a V-trigger and a Snapdragon. The Elite then rip Pac's protective face mask off as they deliver a three-way superkick. Pac then escapes the one-winged angel as Kenny hoists him up into a fireman's carry as Kenny delivers the go-to-sleep to Pac, who kicks out at a two-count. Big reaction. First of all, uh, all the references to CM Punk and, and uh, Ace Steel, uh, what were your reactions as you were watching? I mean, this ran entirely counter to the uh, the piece that Kenny, or that, you know, printed interview. I think it was in Sports Illustrated. I'm sorry, I don't remember the interviewer off the yes. top of my head. Justin Barasa. Uh, Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, where Kenny was trying to just sort of, okay, tamp it down and whatnot. Obviously, that was completely out the window or that was a work there because, yeah, this was just them shining the crowd on uh, as much as possible. Um, you know, the second this started happening, I mean, he 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 did the little, you know, the GTS, you know, kind of nighty-night uh, gesture, um, you know, before going for the Terminator dive, even before actually pulling the GTS itself off. Uh, so, yeah, you know, the second this starts happening, you know, your, your Twitter timeline is just exploding with speculation about like, oh, they, they've got to be they've got to deliver punk back now if they're, you know, they can't promise something and not come through on it. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Like, I don't think that there is inherently a, uh, let's say a, an objective negative or a unilateral downside to playing around with this sort of stuff and, you know, kind of confronting the elephant in the room uh, through these, you know, kind of in match in ring, gestures and nods and winks uh and and everything it's what everybody's thinking about to begin with anyway uh and you know yeah we can sort of talk about whether or not the heel shtick did sort of uh blur or sideline the the death triangles move here but it's what's on everyone's mind right now and they're gonna and they're gonna play around with it as much as possible they're in the belly of the beast in chicago you have this crowd that again seemed to be sort of fluctuating and moving back and forth from section to section from you know sequence to sequence um in the match so i mean are they playing with fire i i guess yeah maybe but you know i kind of feel like the sort of person you know i don't know i mean i'm not sure if there are people uh who have decided that they're that they're out on aw you know now that punk is seemingly persona non grata um but again it's what's everyone is thinking about and if we're not going to be getting as many people have said, if we're not getting like a kayfabe explanation from commissioner Tony about why, uh, you know, CM Punk and the elite were stripped of their respective titles. I feel like something like this is kind of necessary to sort of bridge that kind of open question within the AEW world of what was going on with all of that. And again, as you and John have said, everybody who's watching and would question, Hey, isn't that CM Punk's move? Everybody knows what's going on there anyway. So having these sorts of winks and nods, I think is at least, you know, treating the audience with a modicum of intelligence there. But how does doing this answer any of those questions? I think it only raises those questions back up when maybe interest was starting to die down. The the, the problem, and let, let me finish the match first before we get mm. into this. Okay. So, uh, so the, he does the go to sleep. There's a big reaction to it. There, it prompts some fuck CM Punk chance from this crowd. Matt Jackson at this point hits a low blow to pack behind the rest back. Matt then grabs the bell hammer. But Penta is behind him with his own bell hammer as he uses it on Matt and Pack pins Matt. The Death Triangle is up 2-0 here. Uh, both of them now cheating. So 
Um, the action was stellar. The atmosphere was incredible. I have a feeling, Bruce, you and I are going to disagree on the content of this match because I hated it. Oh, I wow. Think, okay. I think having the Bucks, first of all, play heel, I, I've kind of indicated my issues with that. It totally took away from, I think, you know, Phoenix's, in particular, his narrative um, come, and his character growth coming off of Saturday. But I think the CM Punk spots in particular, Tony Khan and AEW have worked so hard to ignore the issue, to step away from the issue, to convince the media to step away from the issue. Kenny Omega himself is encouraging the audience to step away from the issue. And in this match, you fan the flames again. You deliberately keep the issue in everybody's memory. And I think, you know, yes, it is on everybody's mind, but I don't think addressing it in this way was what the audience like is in any way satisfying for the audience. It only like stirs, it makes, makes the feud hotter and it only makes people want to ask those questions that much more. And I think it takes away from the great job that guys like Mox and MJF have done to try to distance this Mm. company from that Mm. dark cloud. Uh, and, and it's unless punk is coming back. And of course those are going to be like the rumors are bigger now or, or the, 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 the suggestion and, and sort of like the uh, the speculation is now bigger than ever that Punk is going to be returning. And he could, could very well. Um, it just seems so counter, though, to everything else that we've seen from this company up until this point. I mean, it's if we are. I mean, again, like we're, we're getting into where we're going through the looking glass here in terms of, you know, speculation and fantasy booking. But I mean, one possibility there is that that situation has changed behind the scenes, right? That things were going in one direction and now they're going uh, in another because, I mean, I, I will definitely agree with you that this was clearly a concerted choice and an effort. And it does, you're exactly right, fly completely in the face of the way that uh, Tony and others have been trying to, you know, a- adjust or, or control the flow uh, of questions and discussion about, uh, you know, one Phil Brooks in the aftermath of all of this. Um, for whatever reason, you know, uh, and I can't imagine that any of this is, you know, the Bucks or uh, Omega going off of script here. Like this has to be being done with as much blessing, you know, from, mm-hmm. from the big seat as, as there is, um, you know, this has been decided upon as a way of attracting in, uh, interest in um, the elites return and, you know, the kind of the meta, the meta issues surrounding uh, their, their absence and their return. Um, you're, I think you, you've, I, I see your point uh, certainly about Death Triangle and how it sort of does them no favors maybe in the short term. The fact that, you know, we sort of had like, I thought there was something symbolic about the fact that it was Penta, right, who delivered the uh, the hammer blow this time to sort of indicate that, okay, they are all on side with, you know, being willing to be underhanded here. It's not just Phoenix or, or whatever it is. Uh, they're all on board with this now. So He, he was also distracting the ref on, on Saturday. Like mm-hmm, he, true. He was kind of in on it. True, true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's early, it's early days here, right? We are only a couple of days away from, uh, you know, from the match on on Saturday, you know? Um, so I'm not really sure, uh, as to where we're going in terms of the question of Punk's return or not, obviously. Um, 
I just kind of want to say that it's a little bit too early to judge the efficacy of this. This is also of, of, of playing with this imagery. This is also something that could possibly shift and change over the remainder of the next matches. Like this is kind of unprecedented, I think, in terms of like this, uh, you know, this long of a sequence of matches in AEW. It's, it's very striking. It's being dragged out for, you know, a month and a half or two months or whatever it is. Um, so I sort of have to think that there are going to be other chapters there. I don't mean to be doing a like, you know, a road dog, let it play out sort of sort of uh, caution here. Um, but given how deliberate this was, at least in the short term, I have to think there's some logic to it and they have to know to a certain degree, have some sort of plan. At least at least for the next few weeks, I'm willing to give them a little bit of rope. I'm at least curious about the babyface heel dynamic for the remainder of these matches, you know? And yes, I know the Bucks always have sort of this obnoxious personality about them anyway that, that kind of makes them likable, this, despite the fact that they're doing heelish things. I mean, tonight, though, I, I, I just, I didn't get that sense at all. And in fact, it was Death Triangle that were, you know, the, the, the babyfaces. Um yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of not really like, you know, I, I don't see the, the, the point of the CM Punk thing, um, even if you're in Chicago. First of all, it was uh, way more 50-50, if not like, if if they did not mention the CM Punk stuff, or if they didn't reference CM Punk at all in, in any of the wrestling, I think you would have had a few chance. But beyond that, like, you, they would have moved on and they would have earned this crowd's respect as baby faces because they were about to see a great match. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like you could have carried the same narrative that you had on Saturday. And this felt like a total 180 and something I feel like ultimately, ultimately might be a bit more detrimental to, to, you know, this company trying to move away from it all. I mean, it's one of those things that could just be changing like night to night, you know, like, again, I hate to be making attitude era callbacks here, but you know, the, the Brett Austin crossing the border sort of thing, um, you know, whether What's or not the payoff. It, yeah, this is the question. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes, in terms of payoff, doesn't necessarily work out. But in terms of week to week, maybe it pops ratings. Not that that's the sort of thing that you necessarily want. Uh, that sort of short-term planning is necessarily where you want to be going. I get your point, yeah. Certainly the hottest topic, I would say, coming off of this show. Um, and uh, some of you guys will very much disagree with me or maybe agree with me. Leave a comment in uh, whatever source that you are listening this uh, to to us in and uh, let us know because um, I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of thoughts thoughts uh we thought we were done with the issue <laughs> you think <laughs> oh, no. again okay uh we are back to talking about cm punk and the elite renee paquette is uh, in the uh, on the ramp and she announces that thunder rosa and AEW have reached a mutual agreement they have forced thunder rosa to relinquish the title uh at this point chicago cheers renee puts over thunder rosa over uh, puts her over for being a great champion and for forfeiting the title for the benefit of AEW. And Renee then introduces your new AEW women's champion, Jamie Hayter. Um, Excalibur later also informed us that Tony Storm's reign is also retro, excuse me, retroactively recognized as an official reign as well. Uh, your thoughts on this, Bruce? I mean, it's about time. It's been nearly three months to the day. I checked it out. It was August 24th. Uh, I think actually, I believe I might have been on uh, on Rewind to Dynamite. Uh, to, I, I seem to remember speaking to you or John uh, about the whole um, uh, Rosa, the Rosa segment backstage. Um, I did think it was sort of notable that um, Renee did not state that Rosa would be back to challenge for the belt at some point. Um, you know, you maybe don't want to give that away right now, um, but it seemed like a very politic way of phrasing 
this uh, to try to keep things smoothed over. Obviously, I think, you know, uh, may certainly not as much as the CM Punk business, but I think a lot of people are sort of aware, uh, you know, of, of the backstage static with with Brit and Rosa. Um, so this, if this is one of those ones where you probably could just kind of sweep it under the rug and move along without it necessarily needing to be uh, to be dredged back up. You know, don't need to be seeing any more sandbag jokes or sandbag references uh, in matches I, moving forward. I, I think it's a, it would be implied that whenever Rosa comes back, like she she has some sort of claim, you know, to, to challenging because she never lost it. Um, but yeah, oh, I like, think she does. I just I'm just not sure if she's coming back at this point is my speculation. But hmm, OK, interesting. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, Jamie Hader is officially the AEW Women's Champion right now, and they uh, introduce the match, the match we have in question here. Uh, well, first of all, Jamie Hader comes out, and, uh, and also very interesting that Britt Baker kind of walks ahead of her, and Renee asks Jamie a question, but before, before Jamie can answer, Britt grabs the mic and speaks for her, says something about never, you know, them never thinking it was an interim title anyway. So, you know, Hader is going along with all of this. She's not really showing any sign of annoyance from Britt yet, the way, you know, Samoa Joe did with Wardlow, for instance. But um, they are clearly kind of hinting towards some sort of jealousy type of breakup between the two. It's a good way of sequ- what they're doing is sequestering the crowd's reactions away. They're giving the crowd the opportunity to cheer for Jamie and boo Brit without there needing to be some sort of friction between them in the short term. So that whenever they do go to that, they've got time to play it out. I thought that was very, very smartly done there with Brit taking the mic and Jamie being perfectly happy because Brit was putting her over. Get lets the crowd just kind of boo Brit and cheer for Jamie. Uh, um, also, no Soraya on the show. Um, no, no mm-hmm. real kind of update on on her either. But um, maybe on Rampage, we'll hear from Soraya. Um, the match tonight is Britt Baker teaming with Jamie Hader, taking on Ty Mello and Anna JAS, taking on Willow Nightingale and Sky Blue in a three way tag team match. The announcers spend some time sort of emphasizing and focusing on the Baker Hader relationship. They're kind of debating whether Baker actually gave Hader a break or if Hader was just her hired muscle. Um, everybody working really fast here in uh, sky blue. I thought got a great reaction with her Kesador into a cold code blue. The hate breaker from hater is delivered into a stomp from Brit giving Baker and hater the win. Uh, your thoughts on the match, Bruce. Yeah, I thought on the whole pretty decent. I think uh, Blue is a really interesting uh, project that they have in the works. Um, I just mainlined a whole lot of dark and dark elevation uh, yesterday. And so I, I this is all very fresh in my mind here. Um, you know, and I think she's one of those cases where you are seeing uh, a lot of, you know, kind of like steady. It's not the fastest, but it's, you know, it's steady improvement from her. Uh, I'm really glad that um, Willow's the very... Um, organic way that Willow Nightingale has caught on with the AEW audience has not necessarily been kind of put into that ROH box under the bed, you know, we'll, we'll hold on to it until we actually need it sort of thing. Uh, I, I feel like you've really got to um, play the hot hand that you have with her there. Uh, you know, she has a very, very natural uh, connection with the crowd. And because you had, you know, two heel tag teams or nominally heel tag teams, including Hater, along with the baby face team. It again allowed for that sort of um, dynamic or separation between Brit and Jamie uh, to sort of be maintained. Each of them was allowed to work either face or heel, depending on this, uh, on, uh, on what the situation called for and the crowd could react accordingly. What do you see for Willow? Do you, do you see a, a role for her at final battle? 
Um, I mean, yeah, I, it looks like we're going uh, with um, Mercedes and Athena, you know, for the uh, for the ROH women's title. And oh boy, I'm I'm up for that. I'm not to do a whole a whole plug for Dark here, but man, the uh, the you know dark brutal athena just murdering people uh on, on dark has been wonderful i'm very into that match um so yeah i mean i don't know uh if we if we would necessarily have her in the title picture but you know um certainly i think you know some sort of match with her or possibly even you know i if i do think that you know not now because she just had the match but somewhere down the line you know i do think she's a bit of a dark horse candidate to possibly you know, take the title off of Jade at some point. You know, I know there's a lot of talk about Stat, uh, returning Statlander whenever she's healthy, uh, being an option there. I think in a few months, you might have Willow at that point uh, if she is kind of, if she continues to sort of get the spotlight on her, uh, you know, and, and the crowd keeps having this sort of a reaction with her because, you know, she really is. She's just one of those, like, you know, we talk about it a lot, or you and John talk about it a lot in terms of, oh, the difficult, you know, nobody can book or build baby faces anymore. And, she's just one of those really rare, completely natural uh, and, and immediately likable baby faces. And that's not common these days. Up next, we've got top flight and FTR there in the back with Renee Dax puts over top flight and says that he wants them to take over the tag team uh, wrestling scene or, or division in, in, in the future, like FTR has in the present Darius though, challenges FTR for the ROH tag team titles on rampage this friday so that is a match you'll be getting top flight versus ftr mm. this friday on rampage the acclaim come out and uh max caster delivers rap he's got some lines recapping the results of full gear including them taking gre- credit for breaking up swerve and lee and also uh jay lethal and Jarrett's nuts getting slapped so uh anthony bowens grabs the microphone he speaks and uh you know, I'm I'm sensing like his confidence and his presence on the microphone really, really, really growing and really improving. You know, for a long time, it was just Caster sort of like being the guy with the voice. Bowens was the guy with the line at the end. But Bowens has just really kind of taken charge um, as sort of like the guy actually speaking on behalf of the team. And he sounds great here. He says his sh- sorry. You, you have something to say, Bruce? Oh, oh, just, just the, I uh, once again, I, I feel like I say this every time on on one of these shows uh, again, as one of the people who just watches all the dark, the damn dark matches. Uh, I've been very 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 high on Bowens for a long time uh he's always you know when you see him being in you know he does a lot of uh media and whatnot he's been on the MLB network and, and things like that uh, a, a couple of times uh you know and he always comes across in media appearances as somebody who's very comfortable you know very much able to sort of you know put himself and his story uh, across as well as all of the you know the promo and the plugs that they want to get in there as well so the fact that he's now really being able to kind of smoothly get that confidence over in a very natural sounding way in in-ring promos bodes very, very well. I mean, obviously we're, it's not the WWE where we don't have to break the tag team up right now or anything like that. But my point is that there's, I think there's a really, really high upside uh, in Anthony Bowens for, for years to come. So uh, Bowens is saying that his shoulder is feeling a lot better. And beyond that, daddy ass's fingers have healed so daddy ass takes off the bandages he's about to scissor the acclaimed but on the screen sanjay lethal sing and jeff jared appear jared tells them to watch their back as a tna sucks chant uh reverberates in the background obviously they weren't watching um in 2002 these people the acclaimed and daddy ass scissor to close the segment so we are looks like we're getting lethal and jared versus the acclaimed 
I, I, I guess um, I, I, I think I've, I might have called in to say this uh, a little while ago, but just I have no time for Jarrett as an in-ring presence uh, at this point. Like, if you want him doing as a bit of a mouthpiece or something like that, and uh, you know. I, I guess doing like an interference chair spot or a, a guitar spot at some point. I just, I really, when we're talking about, you know, we've, we've just, you know, I've just finished kind of talking up people like, you know, Willow Nightingale and Anthony Bowens and just like, Oh God, you know, you've got such a great, exciting core here that just needs to be nurtured and just needs TV time. Um, and look, I, I get it. I, I understand that some people have nostalgia uh, for, for Jeff Jarrett and for that era of TNA and, and whatnot. I am not one of those people. Uh, and so less is more when it comes to Jeff Jarrett and me. I'll just say that. Feels like, you know, the acclaimed are, are kind of um, just, you know, filling time, I have to say, before, like, they take on maybe a real challenger for, uh, you know, in the lead up to a pay-per-view defense, perhaps, in, in a team like an FTR, I would say. I, I, and I think it's kind of the fact that presumably FTR, you know, will be defending the IWGP belts at Wrestle Kingdom sort of means that they can't really get involved in mm. the AEW title picture for in right now. So yeah, yeah, it kind of does leave the champs with, you know, kind of odd oddball. Jay Lethal and Jeff, Jay Lethal and Jeff, Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be some interaction between Jarrett and 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 Billy Gunn um as sort of like the two veterans somehow able to talk about whatever history i don't even know if they've had any history like well they share brian james in common i guess so you know there's there's that (laughs) you're right okay yeah (laughs) i wonder if uh we we get uh, probably no involvement from uh from bg there but um i I, i'm at least somewhat curious to see like how they will try to make jeff jarrett compelling in in (laughs) in this feud i'm guessing we're going to get i don't know some sort of a war between slapping nuts or scissoring uh, as, as the de facto act of, uh, of the I, I, I don't know if just the, the wonderful reception that, you know, uh, gerontological man called Sting has received has maybe just gone to Tony Khan's head in terms of re- reclaiming old, you know, WCW, non-WWE uh, legends and giving them, you know, one last run here. But a- would anyway, you, anyway. Would you rather slap nuts or scissor? Let us know in the comment <laughs> section below. Rampage. At a four o'clock start time on Friday, a very special start time. That's very. That's even earlier for you, Bruce. That's that's one p.m. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and and Friday is. I, I'm not actually at work on Friday, so I'll be just probably like you know having my lunch or something like that, and, and sitting down with uh, with Rampage at a very civil hour, and then I'll have my uh, I'll have my Friday night ahead of me as well. Lovely. Four p.m. Eastern time for Rampage on Friday, and on the card we've got Anthony Henry taking on Darby Allen. Uh, we've got FTR versus Top Flight. Chris Jericho will be speaking. Hikaru will be in action. Also announced Butcher and the Blade and Roosh take on the Dark Order. Uh, so just on that note, rewind to SmackDown that evening with me and John will be on at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll be going live right after SmackDown, of course, because we'll have already seen Rampage. Next week on Dynamite, they have announced Death Triangle versus the Elite match number three. Also, the return of MJF. And then we have our main event of the evening for the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship, Tomohiro Ishii takes on Chris Jericho. The uh, little promo that Jericho cut on Saturday, of course, indicated a uh, prior history between the two With when Ishii was uh, but a young boy for a Lionheart Chris Jericho back in WAR. Jericho starts the match off yelling, Baka! And they start off with a slap fest. Clearly, uh, Ishii, uh, not, not one to be called Baka. More stiff slaps and chops. And then, Bruce, 
they went through an entire picture in picture with a chop exchange that was about the damnedest thing I've ever seen because Jericho's chest starts being split open. And then like in this tiny picture in the corner, you see a man with just like uh, blood. And and I don't know about you, but like usually when I like the picture in picture is on, I, I, I'm not really paying attention. Like I'm too distracted by the commercials. I was glued to my screen trying to squint trying to look at well how did this guy like bleed this much this went from you know the kind of the 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 usual uh you know kind of ishi chop exchange that you will get in you know pretty much any singles match that ishi is in this went from that to like you know a, a friggin' homage to the Kobashi Sasaki, you know, 2005 Noah match in picture in picture. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, I've got multiple windows open on my computer and I'm squinting. And it's like, no, yeah, that is just a big, big, big patch of blood beginning to open up on Jericho's chest. Both guys looking like, you know, raw hamburger by the time we get back uh, from the commercial. It is just before we go on with the rest of the match, the whole, you know, um, Jericho calling him Kohei and everything like like that uh, was just, I mean, it's great that it's actually, you know, true and legit. It is just so bizarre to think of Ishii as being a young boy to anybody, let alone somebody, main, you know, wrestling in a main event mix. Like Ishii's like, this is a weird comparison way, but to me, he's like, he's like Tom Waits in that you just, you just have to assume that he has looked and he has acted like he was in his mid forties since he was 10 years old. I just cannot imagine, you know, like you can't imagine this handsome young lad it just, getting, I, I getting your ch- chonko for you. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, I actually did some digging on this. I was curious if um, uh, they ever, I mean, obviously I knew that he was, um, he was in war uh, training, but it was three months after uh, Jericho had left the promotion that Ishii uh, had his first uh, first match in war. That so on, out. yeah. So on, I, I've got I d- did the cage match digging here on November second in nineteen ninety six. Uh, Ishii lost his debut match to Battle Ranger, and on the same night, Jericho was in the middle of a set of three house show matches uh, where he was unsuccessfully challenging Dean Malenko for the cruiserweight title. So there you go, ships in the night there. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, so so they they go about this entire chop exchange in in the picture in picture. Ishii's hand is dripping with blood, like it's it's insane. Um, I I don't know what commercials were airing, but like it would be hilarious if it was like I don't know burger commercial or something. Gage Pizza, and then yeah, we get, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, finally, some clotheslines in the corner allowed Jericho to regain control. He goes for the ten punches in the corner, but Ishii counters with a running powerbomb. Jericho then spikes Ishii head first on the apron with the DDT. Jericho hits some repeated Germans. Ishii no-sells the first two. He he hits a third as Ishii again tries to no-sell but stumbles partway through and ultimately collapses. Jericho hits a line salt, but Ishii kicks out at one. Jericho hits a cold code breaker and Ishii kicks out at two. Ishii then blocks the Judas effect, hits a headbutt and a sliding lariat for two. Ishii then escapes the walls and he, he Tomohiro Ishii hits the code breaker uh, before a lariat and a two count. Jericho blocks an enziguri before locking in the walls of Jericho again. At this point, Ishii flips over, but Jericho transitions into the lion tamer. Ishii does not give up right away. In fact, in his last act of defiance, he takes his hand and flips the bird at Chris Jericho, flipping him off as he taps with his middle finger. Um, 
I did not expect this match, Bruce, to close off this edition of Dynamite. No, no. I, I, to be honest, uh, yeah, I was kind of in terms of sequencing. I almost feel like the, to get back to our the CM Punk point, I kind of feel like there was a conscious attempt to keep the the Punk and Elite business completely separate from MJF and Moxley as much as possible. But part of me was sort of expecting this match to start Dynamite. Oh, it's going to be hard hitting, and that's the way they often like to start these. The fact that this was given the main event spot, and again, you know, a, a match this brutal that you know just dug into uh you know uh, again the most like hard-hitting styles of japanese pro wrestling i want to just kind of bookmark this one for the next time somebody brings out the whole like uh AEW. it's just basically like wwe at this point too much sports entertainment etc i just want to refer back to the fact that we saw tomohiro ishii have this match in the main event of a primetime episode of american wrestling television in 2022 because Look, I'm I'm a long, 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 long time uh, Ishii fan. He almost single-handedly uh, was the reason I first really, really fell in uh, with, with New Japan Wrestling years and years ago. Um, on the one hand, you know, uh, you can sort of say that, oh, you know, Ishii's moveset is so limited and he always has the, quote, same match. I think that this match completely puts the lie to that and shows that that's absolutely not the case. Um, but this was just a, this was a fantastic match and it had... So much of it just relied, like, yes, there were brutal moves. You know, yes, that uh, that Spike DDT to the apron was uh, hideous to see. Um, you know, it, it had all of the kind of the violence and intensity. But so much of this was just, you know, character work of both of them, right? Of um, Jericho realizing that he was ultimately going to lose this chop battle, right? That he should just, you know, that he'd need to rely on, you know, kicks and, you know, more, you know, his, his more um, North American, uh, you know, style offense uh, that he couldn't hang with Ishii in his own game. If he wanted to beat him, um, there was just so much going on here. Uh, the, the, the little homages to one another's moves, you know, Jericho hitting sliding lariats and things like that. Um, yeah. Just, just, just a fan frigging tastic match. Can't say enough good things about this. I, I guess I can understand some people maybe criticizing Ishii for not being as uh I don't know versatile as some other wrestlers but to me like I never want anything else no then no. from from Tomohiro Ishii than a Tomohiro Ishii match and for me the versatility comes not from necessarily him but from seeing his opponent uh, and how his opponent can keep up from such a physically demanding style of professional mm -hmm. wrestling match mm -hmm. and that's what made me so interested to see what 52 year old Chris Jericho could do with something with a style as, as taxing as Tomohiro Ishii's yeah. and God, like does this man continue to impress like with, with how willing he's able to step out of his comfort zone. I don't even know if Chris Jericho has a comfort zone. You know, the man is constantly challenging himself, doing something different and fresh all into his fifties. My, my, my friends and I, when we were watching full gear, we're sort of coming around to this point and sort of saying like, okay, look by whichever measures do you want to sort of say and talk about in terms of the greatest wrestlers in terms of, oh, draws, uh, mic work or, or in ring, you know, best volume of, of in ring matches. And we can sort of say that, okay, Jericho isn't necessarily the best one in any one of those categories, but in terms of ability to change and adjust and have that, you know, I know he's more of an Iron Maiden fan, but have that Bowie-like ability to sort of, you know, be a chameleon and adapt and change to uh, whichever way the wind is blowing. You, there are so many cases where certain wrestlers seem out of step with their own, with the time in which they are being pushed, right? Like so much has been made of, say, you know, Hulk Hogan 
just kind of not really fitting in with Hall and Nash or not understanding the same references. And he just kind of looking like the, the awkward dad there hanging around with him. Jericho, whatever we want to say about, you know, personal life or, you know, personal politics or whatever like that, he never feels like he's out of step uh, or uncomfortable or not entirely at home with wherever the pro wrestling business is at uh, when he's in it. And, you know, I don't, you know, he doesn't kind of overstep or kind of get into types of matches or types of feuds that will not play to his strengths. I, you know, he's very good at not exposing himself. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, to get back to this match in particular, this was a match where I was not expecting him to be able to just physically go as much as he did uh, with Ishii here. And he absolutely did. So, yeah, 100% have to take my hat off to him. It was my match of the night, Bruce, you know, ahead of the Elite versus Death Triangle. Yep, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I wonder if, if other, others will agree. But I, I thought it was like, you know, a, a very inventive what they did through the commercial break and just kind of using that chop fest as a real centerpiece. Whether or not, like, that blood was uh, intentional, I mean, I give them credit either way. It was really either really well worked or just a very fortunate uh, fact that you you had such a brilliant visual to attach uh, to my memory of, of this excellent match. So a great one night popping from Tomohiro Ishii. Um, see you in an- another six months, I guess. You know, yeah, exactly. And, uh, we welcome it. Uh, so that was tonight's edition of AEW Dynamite. Your thoughts overall, Bruce? Oh, and then I don't know if you want to just mention the, um, the Castagnoli spot at the end. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli steps up um, to, I guess, seemingly protect the announcers from Chris Jericho and um, slapped him or attacked him. He was he was going after he was going after Ian Riccoboni, right? He's been you know threatening Ian and everything like that. So Jericho was going after him, and then Claudio uh, runs in to to knock Jericho down and obviously set up uh, his challenge for the ROH belt at Final Battle in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is uh, our, our dis- what your thoughts overall on, on Dynamite. Um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, again, like I was sort of saying with regards to Full Gear, I was pretty uh, excited and happy about that show. Um, coming off of kind of a not a not a bad build but you know a lukewarm sort of build and so the fact that um that card delivered and then you had a bunch of questions about mjf and obviously that's been specifically forestalled um or uh pushed forward you know for at least the next week um you know they had a lot to play with there uh and then you know i think built around two very very good very different matches um you know this was a really really excellent show you know uh, on paper it looked good but i think it over delivered uh you know very much like full gear did i really enjoyed the opening segment um even without having mjf here i i mean that almost kind of like uh, in a way helped things because we got to see like the blackpool dynamic uh kind yes. club's own sort of internal um i don't know struggle with with losing their their parent basically you know dad has left uh, the family and and it was kind of nice to have that sort of like nice internal focus just on mox and brian and and regal um so i really enjoyed that i really love the main event i have very mixed feelings about the death triangle versus the elite and and that's a match i absolutely loved on saturday but um um, you know, it's it, it it'll get it certainly got people talking, and I'm very curious to hear people's responses. Um, and, and the rest of the card I thought was perfectly satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, so overall, like when you bookend the show as strongly as you did with some good stuff in between, thumbs up show for me. 
Let's uh, go to your feedback here. Uh, we have actually a super chat. First of all, let me just get the little feedback graphic up. All right. Uh, super chat comes to us from Rob McDonald, who, who sends $5. He says, Penta using the bell hammer tells me that the death triangle will def- definitively be healed going forward. This is a one night only turn, much like Moxley on Saturday. I, I would have said, first of all, thank you so much for the support, Rob. But I, I would have said the definitive turn was was Saturday, you know? Like there, there was nothing mixed to me about it. Like to me, the only hole that was was Phoenix by that point. I guess the thing for me with the Phoenix thing was that it felt, um, I don't know, maybe this is just a, 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 a question of subtlety or a, a subtlety in a heel turn that we don't normally uh, get to see. Um, I think it was, I think it was John uh, in his dis- in your guys's discussion of it who sort of pointed out that you can sort of see Phoenix struggling to escape the one-winged angel, right? And when he realizes that, no, he's not going to be able to wriggle out of this, and this is the most protected move in pro wrestling, uh, and he had no other exit, that's when he uh, he elected to do that. Now, whether that constitutes a heel turn in the traditional you know, uh, understanding of pro wrestling, or whether that just constitutes somebody cutting corners in order to win the way that, you know, Taz or whoever of your heel commentators would sort of put it, um, you know, we, we could get into a how many heads, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin type metaphysical question about that. But I thought that it made for a slightly more, I don't know, more nuanced or more natural sort of move for, you know, sweet young Ray Phoenix uh, to make. Um, and then when you have, you know, all of the heavy, you know, heel shtick with the elite, you have Cutler goofily running around with the cold spray and you know you've even got nakazawa out there i think and never and cal you know callus is lamping it up on commentary you know the, the the whole sort of you know fighting fire with fire thing um you know lets them kind of play around a little bit with that i think see um, because they spent so much time with phoenix sort of in in you know struggle deciding not to use the bellhammer telling pack that you know we can't do this sort of thing to me, like the moment he finally did it was definitive because it, it all kind of made using the bell hammer hammer like this, this bridge that, you know, once you cross, you can't you can't go back the other way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how I read it. Um, you know, Rob also continues saying that this was a one night only turn, much like Moxley on Saturday. And, 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 and you know, maybe we go back to, to discussing like. Did the elite need to preemptively turn themselves heel but to combat the Chicago response? I would maintain they did not. Because I, at best, I thought the, the reaction was mixed. And I think if the content of the match ended up being strong, they would have been able to make this crowd completely forget about CM Punk. I I see what you mean, but I kind of feel like they just, in, in you know, taking the bull by the horns, they were sort of, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, I'm sure there's some sort of analogy to be made with like, you know, uh, improv theater or something like that in that, you know, they were sort of anticipating the crowd giving them this energy. So, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're projecting forward. How are you going to respond to that? And we ended up with a pretty mixed and fluid reaction. Whether that means that they should have stuck more with, you know, the the kind of the presentation of the elite uh, that they were on Saturday, uh, I don't know. Uh, but again, I kind of feel like it gives them, I don't know, it just gives them flexibility while all of this is, is being sussed out. And again, uh, to go back to, you know, what I was saying earlier, the fact that this is a seven match series, like this isn't the blow off. This isn't, you know, oh, now, I don't know, uh, Death Triangle are going to like use hammers to beat the Dark Order or some other, you know, poor underling babyface trio or anything like that. Because the story is ongoing, this feud must continue. Um, you know, I, I think there's enough 
chance for or enough time for these slightly more, you know, uh, back and forth shades of gray, yada, yada uh, type sort of moves to be made in the short term. Let's go to forum.postwrestling.com for some feedback from our patrons. We start off with Muggin, who says, I had anticipated that Chicago would get real icy for the elite. They did. Not only that, they didn't shy away from the all-out debacle, and Kenny hitting the GTS takes a great deal of balls. The aftermath of full gear was solid. I thought Moxley would have been gone fishing by now. The trios match stole it, and Jericho's plans for final battle took shape. Dope match versus Ishii. And Muggin says, let Jamie Hayter speak. So <laughs> so maybe that's sort of the carrot that they're going to be dangling now. You know, first it was like, you know, um, get Jamie Hayter the championship. They've done that. Now the carrot that they're dangling is letting her speak on the microphone, perhaps. Yeah, step out of Bridge shadow. Exactly. Yeah, if you want her to be the, you know, the actual, you know, kind of fighting champ of the division for the next little while. Uh, do you want me to go to the next one? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, we are, oh boy, we are going to Brandon from New Jersey. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. I thought it was a solid episode. Oh, by the way, good evening, your lordship and way. Good episode <laughs> from Jericho's Exploding Peck to the women's match, which was really good. My question to you and Brewdog is this, uh, will the Bucks be able to come back to down on the road? Will it be the biggest choke job ever by Lucha Underground Bros? I'm guessing they're angling it as very sports-like with the Bucks being down 2-0 in a series. Oh, oh, down down 2-0. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is, you know, I mean, whatever. Insert, you know, Brandon, I'm, you know, with his encyclopedic sports knowledge would be able to, you know, cite chapter and verse, I'm sure, uh, dozens and dozens of, of cases of people coming back from a 2-0 loss in a best-of-seven series. Hell, you know, Boston and and, and New York uh, in the, what was it, 2004 ALCS? we got to build the best-of-seven like it's a wrestling match, right? You know, like have one sort of like clear dominant force, have the other per- other team come back, and then, you know, building towards sort of a, a climactic finish mm-hmm. if you're going to go all seven, of course. Mm-hmm. Do, do you wish to continue with Brandon? Sure, Speed, sure, sure. He's got he's got some meanderings of a man, man. Uh, this is the annual night where people go out and revel. This was also the annual night that myself and my siblings went out and my sister and sisters-in-law started a line brawl due to the fact that another woman was trying to creep up on my sister's husband. I hid under a table. Am I a coward? Um, entirely depends, Brandon, on the scope and size and breadth of a bar brawl in my experience. Um, you know, once they kind of get going, they get very chaotic. They're a maelstrom that draws everybody in. Uh, it becomes impossible to actually get your hands on the person that you are trying to get your hands on. Uh, and so if, if you don't have a clear line of sight on a viable target, sure, protecting your own ass and hiding under the table, uh, I'll, I'll let you get away with that. You haven't lost any esteem in my eyes. Only in the post wrestling cafe can you know uh, an esteemed scholar, a professor in Bruce Lord, be asked to give that num- uh, th- that level of, of, of brain power to um, a main uh, um, um, aimless meandering from Brandon from New Jersey. <laughs> that is what we offer here at the Post Wrestling Cafe. So thank you so much, Bruce, for that, and thank you, Brandon, of course. We got a Jay from Windsor who says. Good show, but I think it's going to be overshadowed by a single move. Given what Omega said earlier today about fans letting it go, then doing the GTS in Punk's hometown, do you think this screen's angle? Or is Kenny just being a jackass? Um, that is the big question. I mean, so here, here's the thing. Like, I believe a lot of the reports of the of the locker room not wanting CM Punk back. I can also believe that Tony Khan 
really want CM Punk back. And that hit, you know, whenever he heals from his injury and all this blows over, hopefully he can re- look at it again because the man means that much for their overall business. So where's, you know, where's Tony Khan's head at? You know, is he going to risk upsetting the locker room by by bringing this person back? Um, in either case, I don't necessarily know if what we saw tonight was directly leading to a punk return because he's he's seemingly pretty far, like, you know, with the injury from from coming back. So I don't know, like would doing it t- today have any sort of lasting effect on on something that's not not to, not scheduled to happen for quite a while? I mean, the, the fact that there is that delay almost lets them get away with this, right? Like, they could continue to do this through this whole Best of Seven series until, you know, they, they decide to stop doing it or it stops getting a reaction and then just let it go. And then whether Punk returns to AEW, shows up in WWE, never shows up in a wrestling ring again, um, you know, there's no immediate consequence for that. So, you know, there's maybe something to that, I think. Thank you so much, Jay, from Windsor. Let's go up next to Cody from Maine. Yeah, Cody says, an enjoyable and eventful evening uh, edition uh, from the fantastic setup for House of Black's return, conditioning the audience to expect evil Danhausen. Yes, yes, I was ex- assuming the same. I was assuming that Danhausen had cursed hmm. uh, QT Marshall's microphone. I thought that's where we were going. So, uh, so there's the feud, evil Danhausen in the House of Black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's truly more evil? Hmm. I mean, I, uh, knowing what I know about them, I do have to, you know, Danhausen has a little bit more goth cred in terms of his record collection. I can say that. Really? Uh, yeah. Mal- Malachi Black, you know, has, he's, he, you know, he's a bit more of a metalhead. Is he sort a of poser? Guy. No, no, he's you certainly not. A po- no, 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 no. Oh, Jesus. No, no, no. That man okay. isn't a poser of anything. Uh, but he's a little bit more of a metalhead, I think, is, is the issue there. But uh, which is its own flavor of evil. But no, no, no. <laughs> this is a whole other. I have a, I have a dream podcast in my head where uh myself and kate and possibly my friend alex just actually rate the goth credibility like the shoot goth credibility <laughs> of, of wrestlers right there's there are a lot of not gonna lie way a lot of poser goths in wrestling it's it's just the way it is unfortunately really wow it is it is okay. <laughs> not, not gonna put any names on blast kevin uh, thorne. anyway <laughs> sorry, was, i missed that <laughs> kevin thorne but never kevin mind. thorne okay yeah, can you work can, if you're if you're gonna have a goth character in wrestling? Okay, you better have the record collection to back it up because you have people like Kate, people like Bruce that are willing to to sleuth it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is Sting on this list? Uh, Sting is the like really supportive dad who like does the like the dress up as your kid day at work. <laughs> And yes. sort of just like shows up and is just like, yeah, hey, son, you know, like, sure, let's listen to some AFI records together. And you're like, that's that's nice, dad. But, you know, it's <laughs> so if yeah. Kevin Thorne is on the bottom, who's at the very top of this list, at least. Today? Oh, um, I, well, I should give a quick little shout out to uh, AEW Dark uh, one time uh, wrestler and uh, kind of friend of my podcast, Trevor uh, Aon. Uh, he's completely legit. Uh, you've got him. Um, who else? Uh, like, like I said, Dan Housen is has you know kind of I- intimated uh, here and there that he sort of that he that he knows what's up. Um, God, now I'm now I'm trying to remember who else. I do have a short list in my head. This will this will maybe show up on <laughs> next. Some point. If you ever get to do a podcast with Kate, I, I would absolutely love to hear this. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, shout out to Trevor Aon. Um, going back to Cody's actual feedback here, um, to Sean Spears getting his witch and the interim tag being dropped from the women's championship. Yes, the trios match may go down in history with the likes of Shawn Michaels' infamous segment in Montreal back in 2005. There's leaning into the reaction you know you're going to get. Then there's what we got tonight. Safe to say there's no end in sight to CM Punk talk. And what else can I say about Chris Jericho? I feel like I've praised him in my feedback every week. For my money, 2022 has been the best career, best of his career in terms of in-ring work. Absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, I don't know. We might have to go back to like the Lionheart and Super Jacob days. But, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, given his age, given, you know, what people expect of somebody at this point in their career. There's no question that uh, when we just get to like, you know, pure in-ring work, Jericho is still massively, massively over delivering. Yeah. I think in terms of variety, in terms of, I think what he offers to an overall, the company overall, like I, I would probably name this year, you know, I'm also thinking back to like the Jericho or the Sean feud, of course. Um, But he, he really does continue to excite me at least in ring here. Uh, the aforementioned Kate from Montreal, <laughs> Speaks up, and I don't think she's got a list, but she does say that it is interesting to see the elite leaning into the reaction they knew was coming, and I think having them go 0-2 actually works better in story than having them tie it up, because it means they'll fight as underdogs in other cities, or they'll be perceived as baby faces. Damn, they laid it on thick, though. I'm glad to see the House of Black return, and I hope they'll just, they'll just let them kill everyone until they get to pick the bones of the winners of the best of seven. <laughs> I swear it looked like Ishii's hand was swollen by the end of the match, which I guess shouldn't be all that surprising. I th- I feel like somebody pointed this out at some point that one of Ishii's hands is sometimes regularly quite a little bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, swollen. Whether that's the result of chopping or or whatever it might be, uh, but yeah, no, obviously a really strong uh, strong return for the House of Black, and and I agree. I think that whatever uh, you know. Whichever team emerges out of the best of seven will be definitely worn down, but we'll have a clearer sense of sort of uh, what their presentation is and, and how the House of Black might be targeting them. Uh, we go on uh, to H. De La Cruz 24, who says, thoughts on the Death Triangle winning twice while cheating. Is that really the only way the elite can be beat? Bad look or just me overthinking things? Foolish to think that they would work in these spots without a payoff in the future when CM Punk is healed. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about that mm-hmm. second point, I think, a good deal. Um I think there's something to that. I think that, yeah, I would hope that if we are, you know, certainly, you know, going the distance here, uh, a clean win for Death Triangle uh, somewhere down the line might do them a world of good if they are going to be kept somewhat face-ish or face-adjacent coming out of this. You have to, I mean, this is one of those cases where if we're going the full seven, we're going to have, you know, probably end up being close to two hours of ring time you know between all of these teams this has to be one of those sort of kind of mutual respect positions at the end uh i i I would imagine and so yeah i I, that's a good point i do think that uh if we are going the distance a clean win for death triangle would be a good gesture to have yeah today i i kind of get this and even on saturday i get the uh, get well maybe saturday more so than today but today i i get the less less of a sense that they're trying to really protect anybody and and it was more so maybe playing up the finish from saturday why you had so much uh bell hammer use um i think going forward though you you do have the excuse of these the wear and tear on these guys bodies and so at that point taking you know a quote-unquote clean pinfall wouldn't wouldn't be such a big deal you know you can argue that there are no more clean pinfalls because they'll all be so w- worn down towards mm-hmm. the end so 
I think that will happen later. Let's go to Jordan from the Bronx, who says, there's so much to be said about the frequency of AEW vi- AEW's visits to Chicago, but it's immediately justified when you get in hot crowds like that each time. The trios match was petty and childish, but I had so much fun watching it. There's, <laughs> there's money waiting to be made if CM Punk ever returns and is willing to do business. If not, the elite positioning themselves as asshole heels in Chicago, like Shawn Michaels being a heel in Canada, is a stroke of brilliance. The interim tag is removed from the women's division, and the announcement of, by the way, Tony Storm's reign is recognized after watching Britt get the pin was lackluster. I was a bit, well, I mean, at that point, like, they didn't even have to do that. Like, you know, I just feel like they did it. Um, it was just a nice little make good so that, you know, so that there isn't this asterisk on, on Tony when she, you know, just when she gets another shot at the title or something like that. And, uh, and you know, if there was question about whether or not uh, Rosa would be able to return anytime soon, until the last week or so of Tony's reign. I feel it's like it's the right thing to do. Jordan continues, I was a bit thrown off by the opening promo. Is Regal potentially walking all the way to Orlando or, or Stanford? That's something that my watch group started to, to speculate. Just felt anticlimactic after Moxley had all the anger and Danielson was begging him off. MJF not being there due to his other commitments didn't help. I'm sure he's going to cut a hell of a promo next week and get some clarity on things. Overall, an excellent follow-up episode as there seems to be firm directions going forward to close out the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I can understand, you know, why other people are sort of wondering that that might literally have been Regal's last, um, you know, last moment on there. And if it is, that does sort of explain why the focus had to be very quickly pivoted on kind of interseeing Blackpool Combat Club conflict uh, rather than on beating up uh regal in order to get to mjf uh but oh yeah yeah i I did like the you know kind of uh regal sort of you know like big timing mjf by oh yeah no he's off in hollywood shooting a movie unlike you know he's not going to show up in this town with you plebs come on what are you thinking yeah it's only i mean chicago Third or fourth largest markets in the the continent. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you all you guys for all your excellent feedback. And thank you, Bruce Lord, for joining me. Uh, Fantastic as always on these shows. And as I'm sure I echoed the audience's uh, sentiment, where can people hear a lot more from you? Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I, if, I think, as uh, some people know, uh, I run a monthly podcast uh, at Post Wrestling. Uh, the postmarks, uh, the most recent episode uh, involving the aforementioned uh, Kate from Montreal is up on postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, that's free for everyone, not just uh, Patreon members. Uh, my podcast partner, David Myers, and myself spoke with Kate uh, and had a much more free-form conversation than we sometimes do on those. Uh, it got into uh, topics of writing, uh, acting, uh, all sorts of uh, literature and interests uh, unrelated, or at least partially related uh, to wrestling. Uh, I think folks who are used to hearing Kate on, you know, a lot of the Friday night uh, episodes here at Post will end up learning a lot uh, about her through that. Uh, In addition to that, uh, I recently had an article up on Post itself uh, that I was pretty happy with called uh, Better Than the Best MJF and the Shadow of CM Punk. Uh, This was an article that was taking a look at the history of MJF's feud with Punk and how MJF uh, has sort of pivoted and reacted uh, after Punk's disappearance. Uh, but what I'm guessing Way is maybe referring to is uh, my main hustle uh, outside of wrestling, uh, which is idiudai.com. That's a website where my friend Alex and I uh, write about and discuss goth music, industrial music, EBM, and dark wave. Uh, that's also the home of the We Have a Technical podcast, which we run weekly. Uh, we will have our interview with Sean Brennan of Legendary Goth Act London After Midnight up on tomorrow's episode. Uh, if you want to follow 
follow me on Twitter until the, the platform collapses. I'm there at Contrasoma. Uh, that's also the username for me on Grapple, on Untapped, and on Last.fm. If you want to like check my own goth cred and see what I've been listening to or what beer I've been drinking, uh, that's all there on Contrasoma. Never question this man's record collection. All right, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Lord, uh, your the Lordship himself. Thank you so much for joining us. I am at Way Zero Nine Three Seven. As I mentioned on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed for all patrons, John Pollock will be releasing an audio road diary from our trip to uh, Newark that'll be out tomorrow. He will be joining me also in the Post Wrestling Cafe and also video.postwrestling.com back on Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern time for an earlier edition of Rewind a Smackdown. And uh, until then, I will talk to all of you guys later. Bye-bye.